Hello everybody, this is Paul Miller, and you're listening to the Tuna Town Talks podcast, located in Venice, Louisiana, the fishing capital of the world. Hello everybody, and welcome to uh, Tuna Town Talks. This is our first episode of season two, and I have a very awesome guest of mine today is Captain Clay James. He has been a uh, captain of the Chase and Tail for the last 15 years, and they have uh, won millions among the, the northern gulf. He's uh, from Orange Beach. That's where I've traveled to today um, to come and interview him. And I'll just let you take it from there, Clay. Tell us uh, where it all started, and we'll just go into it from there, man. I got you. Well, I was born and raised up in north Alabama, wound up down here. Uh, my mom remarried, moved down here, and wound up with some friends their father's family and stuff had boats and they kind of took me under their wing and just kind of started fishing with them is how i got started and then um kept trying to look for deckhand jobs walking the dock just asking anybody if they'd just give me a chance which you don't see that much anymore these days hell i hadn't had anybody walking the dock asking Right. You know, like we used to. We used to pound the dock and then figured out real quick that <clears throat> most of the charter guys deer hunted all winter. Yeah. So January 31st was the end of deer season. So February 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, I started burning up their phones, you know. <laughs> and, uh, man, I would do boatyard stuff just for a chance to go and not even get paid, you know. I just wanted my foot in the door. And uh, finally, I had a captain uh, call me. I was 16 years old in high school. Uh, captain Eric Hunter ran a boat called a Sling Queen. He called me and he says, uh, hey, I need a deck can tomorrow for a six hour. I was like, all right, I'll be there. <laughs> so I get off the phone with him. I go in talking to my mom and I was like, hey, mom, um, a guy called me, wants me to deck him for him tomorrow. He said, well, you got school. I'm like, well, I know that, but I'm letting you know that I'm going to be fishing. So <laughs> she's like, no, 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 you got to go to school. I'm like, well, you're not going to let me out of school? She's like, no, you got to go to school. I was like, okay, well, I'm asking if I can go. But since you're telling me no, then I'm going to tell you, when the school calls you and tells you I'm not at school, you'll know where I'm at. <laughs> and turned around and walked back to the, you know, back to my room. And she kind of had a funny look on her face. And a little bit later, she came in there and she's like, "That's really what you want to do?" I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "All right, you got to go to school in the morning. What time you got to be there?" I said, "I got to be there at noon." She's like, "You got to go to school in the morning. I'm gonna call and tell them you got a dentist appointment, and then." you can leave i'm like all right thanks so <laughs> that's kind of how it started <clears throat> um that's pretty cool you know like i i feel like i kind of got involved in the same way you know you kind of scratch and get where you can try to fit in and and uh I, my first gig was actually i was i uh i remember it was it really tore me up because i i had uh interviewed for this job i probably shouldn't have I wasn't really, you know, qualified for, 
and ended up getting uh ended up messaging somebody on 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 facebook with voodoo and ended up getting my job that way and i remember you know your first gig i mean you might be able to test this but you want to do absolutely nothing to screw it up you're like this is you know what i mean you're trying to be impressive as as much as you possibly can and you know i think that's something you don't find in all i mean i guess a lot of other careers you can but in this one specifically that willingness to want to prove yourself is like that that sits there it seems like (laughs) whenever you're looking for new mates you know you got to find somebody that wants to be there because there's a lot of people that think they want to fish for a living but once they get to doing it they're like i'm not getting paid for a lot of the stuff i'm doing (laughs) yeah (laughs) man i mean that's part of the deal you got to put forth a little bit more to get to go fishing i mean yeah it's it's very true (laughs) i mean you do a lot there's you know i've had people the one good thing you know about the job is it's um you're doing something that 99.9 percent of the population has never done yeah i mean you got to kind of keep that in mind to keep things in perspective it gets aggravating and sometimes boring and you know but you still are doing something that other people would just love to be doing. I've had doctors, lawyers, I've taken celebrities fishing, I've taken CEOs fishing and all that, and they'll sit there on the back deck and they'll be like, man, you got the greatest job in the world. <laughs> you know, all you do is go fishing. So like, yeah, that's all we do, man. That's yeah, and that's, that's the crazy thing too, is I, you know, people, you know, it looks glorious until you start doing it and, you, you know, and it, I mean, it is, it is glorious in, in a lot of ways, but I always, you know, get those, those people that, uh, you know, like, man, you know, I just want to do exactly what you're doing, man. It just seems like the way to live your life, you know? And I'm like, go do it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't go to school for 12 years, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's just about networking and, uh, you know, building your name, building a reputation. I feel like more than anything is, you know, even from even from a very, you know, bottom of the totem pole, I think building your reputation has a lot to do with. Yeah, it does. It really does. Um, It'll follow you around. (laughs) It will. (laughs) You'll end up getting nicknames and everything. Well, (laughs) whenever you get a nickname, then you know you're in. Yeah, if you get a nickname, you're already in, yeah. So... But yeah, I mean, I charter fished for years. Yeah, um, so that was your first charter gig. So how long did you do that? Or was it all? I did that time? for you know that that particular charter boat. <clears throat> it wasn't a premier charter boat, and here in Orange Beach, whenever I started, there weren't but really two marinas: Orange Beach Marina and Sportsman's Marina. Now there were other places that some of the charter guys were running out of, and usually that was like out of the back of their house at their dock people like bobby walker um and then the other folks that were around were ben ferry dan negus ricky mcduffie uh james Ammon, uh, brian ammons what year was this this was 86 87 gotcha um and the walkers they started the charter industry down here and so, in orange beach or yeah. orange beach Cold? orange beach yeah, yeah. Um, so you wanted to try to get a job with either Bobby Walker, Ricky McDuffie, Ben Ferry, uh, Don Walker, you know, somebody like that. So you could, you could run some trips, you know, and back then 
there were no size limits there were no seasons um and everybody was trying to break the dock down whenever they got in you know yeah yeah exactly Every, there's a lot of ego involved oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> and so i did that with eric one summer and then the next year <clears throat> uh, i started working for ben ferry and uh i worked for him for three years and we had a pretty good run he's kind of tough to work for you know the older captains you get don't you think you like you do you appreciate that now oh yeah i really do you know i mean that's the other thing what i was saying earlier you know if you're looking for a mate it's you try to find one that's got a good work ethic and it has charter fish because if you're going to charter fish you have to have a good work ethic especially back then i mean yeah we would run i think my longest stretch we had uh 180 days in a row in a row in a row that's pretty insane. I never yeah, heard of it. We didn't have any hurricane. <laughs> that was on the Sea Reaper. I worked on a multi pasture boat. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of overnight trips and that was uh talking about nicknames, the guy that ran the boat, his name was Goat Roper. Goat Roper. Yeah. He's a little skinny guy. <laughs> he could fish. He could fix anything. I learned a lot about uh, how to make things mechanically work with him. Mm-hmm. He taught me a lot. That is the thing too with charter boats, man. They're like they're running all the time, so you got to fix them all the time. Yeah, <laughs> that's that definitely adds to the things you need to know. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, and then you're running that hard stuff. You got to keep a good attitude, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking to Kevin Beach, and you'll find out if you really like it. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but continue it. Mean, but you. Kevin was saying, you know, these people come down and they're coming down for a good time, you know. Right. Um, and man you running that hard it's hard to keep a good attitude but you just mm-hmm. gotta do it you know yeah yeah it's almost like with charter fishing too sometimes it could pay it could pay to be more about the people than the fish yeah. a lot of times and there's a lot of disconnect with that whenever it comes to you know, that and captains. the private boats yeah you know? private boats too i mean a lot of people, granted there are a lot of those owners that probably want to win every tournament but well the there's same that time, but, but there's a lot of people that work for them that forget who owns the boat yeah you yeah. know it's not really about the captain's ego or right i mean you know. like with us i try to involve everybody on some decisions now my boss allows me to uh, decide where we're going fishing how we're going to fish you know how long we're going to stay at one spot or whatever but you know if fishing's slow i'm what do y'all guys think what do y'all feel how do you you know y'all want to and you know, I'll take a consensus of the boat because the way everybody feels and that type of stuff on the boat means a lot too. Yeah, I think it does. You know, and uh, you know, there, I think the relationship between uh, the whole crew is a uh, everybody's got to have a purpose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not everybody. You know, everybody's got to have a job that is you know very cut clear and defined. Mm-hmm. But you know. Everybody can work together at the right. same time. I think there's a you know, big thing. We're, we'll get into that. I have actually a question about that a little bit later. But um, I guess, you know, you went on the charter boats and then, you know, uh, what, what, what was the crossover to the private um, industry for you? 
the private boats, <clears throat> whenever I left the Sea Reaper, I went to work on a 66 Ocean. Uh, ran it for a little while for a guy. And uh, we tournament fish some. Um, and then that job petered out. The guy sold the boat. Um, and then I went to work for uh, a guy named Tony Stubbs on a boat called the Condo Money. Um, it was a custom boat. And we did a lot of tournaments with him. Super nice guy. How long did you work for him for? Tony, I think I worked for Tony for four years. Wow. And then, um, then after that, <clears throat> I was that job was kind of coming to a to an end, and um, I heard about the chase and tail job. Um, I went and kind of inquired about it. The weekend prior to that, I ran the work of art for a buddy of mine. His sister was getting married. His father was passing away from cancer, so they went on ahead and had the wedding. So I ran the boat for them. We caught a blue marlin, and the chase and tail had caught a blue marlin. So we were <laughs> kind of competitors right there. Then the next weekend, um, John and his wife, Miss Marty, they uh, they were looking for somebody to run the boat the following weekend, and they got me to run the boat. Um, pretty interesting trip there. Yeah, uh, you actually told me right before the podcast we were discussing. If you want to go ahead and tell that story, I, I thought it was pretty incredible. We uh, It was a 61 Garlington was the first boat that I worked for them on. This was in 06. And um, we left out and... <clears throat> You know, getting to know people. A lot of times if I'm interviewing for a job, I'll sit down and talk with the people, but I prefer to go fishing with them. Um, You learn a lot more about them out Mm -hmm. there stuck on a boat. You like to interview them just as much as they like to interview you. Yep. And uh, it's kind of like dating, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You You gotta really dig in there and find out if that's where you wanna stay, you know. Yeah. Um. So we leaving out of the past and stuff. We were fishing the uh, Cajun Canyon, but we were able to leave out of Orange Beach. And we left out. We were going down here. Back then, we were still trolling, lure fishing and stuff. So, um, we uh, left out, and John's up there on the bridge with me, and. You know, just asking different questions. How long you been doing this? Blah blah blah. And you know, what's kind of the strangest thing you've seen out here? And I was like, well, man, I've seen killer whales. You know, like mm-hmm. five different times. Well, being the first time I met John, he was kind of like, man, there ain't no killer whales in the damn Gulf, man. What <laughs> That's is, what I would tell somebody. <laughs> what in the hell is this redneck smoking? You know. <laughs> So he didn't say anything to me, so we leave out and we, you know, we chug all night and we get where we're going and we're fishing and come up on some grass patches and we catch a few dorado and maybe missed a few fish or something and coming up to this one big patch of grass and I'm looking up there and I'm like, man, there's a white marlin up here. He's on top. I said, his 
dorsal fin and his tail was sticking out of the water and the damn thing wasn't moving. I mean, he wasn't making a ripple, it was flat calm. So, pull around, I get the right rigger bait. I mean, I pull it right across his nose. The dang thing didn't move. And I'm like, dang, I don't, that's kind of weird, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm making a loop around, making a loop around. I'm fixing to make another pass by him again. And I look up, and I'm like, holy shit, look, John, there's killer whales up here. And he's like, what? I said, go to the bow. So he goes to the bow. He's standing on the bow. I pull it there, pull it out of gear. And the killer whale comes swimming up and it turned and actually looked at him. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, holy shit, you know, and then the thing swims off, we go back to fishing, he comes up on the bridge, he says, man, I got to tell you something, I was like, what is it, he said, man, I thought you was crazy, <laughs> what do you mean, he said, I thought you were lying to me, you know, just making stuff up, I mean, I would have I would have bet my house there wasn't any killer whales, I'm like, yeah, man, there's killer whales in the Gulf, you know, certain times of year, so that's kind of how we started, and then Another part of that same trip. Was we, it like the next morning? This next part? You know? Yeah, well, that night we put out some swordfish baits and we were in some deep water and stuff. And I was like, man, you know, I've never really <clears throat> caught any swordfish out here this deep. But y'all go ahead. So we ate dinner. And uh, as soon as we get finished eating dinner, everybody's hanging out. And, um, one of the rods goes off and it's burning us down and they get his son Ryan in the chair and so he's fighting a fish and fish is straight up and down I'm like man that's a shark and they're like no it's a big swordfish so we get the fish up getting it closer to the boat well once it gets up close to the boat man it takes off again they're like it's a you know they're down there it's a big swordfish the lights are spooking I'm like it's a shark and um so they're like, turn the spreader lights off. So we turn the spreader lights off, and all we got is the lights on the overhang and the underwater lights. So fighting the fish again, get the fish up there, and it's coming up in the underwater lights, but it's kind of way off the boat. And I'm looking, and everybody's looking, and you can see kind of a silver-gray-looking, flat-looking fish. And they're like, it's a shark. I'm like, I told y'all it was a shark. So I leave the, the wheel and go over to the edge. I said, just grab the leader and pop it off. So they grabbed the leader, <clears throat> they jerk it, try to pop it off with what it was. It was a bluefin, and for whatever reason, it came up upside down. And whenever they pulled it, he righted himself up. And I mean, he took off. I was trying to get to the wheel, put the boat in gear, and we break the fish off. And everybody's like, God dang, you know. It was a bluefin tuner, right? Uh-huh. Just to, yeah. So they put some more baits out, nothing happens. And uh, the next morning, we're fishing. And I come up on some grass, we're fishing, it's a decent line, halfway made up, and uh, we pull up to the first little bit of grass and get a white marlin bite, so we're working back around, try to see if we can get another bite out of the fish, and I look over and seeing something in the grass, I can't quite figure out what's going on, and then... um, looking back at the lures and I look back over and man there's grass flying 30 feet up in the air water's going everywhere I'm like holy shit and it was a big school bluefin and the tournament we were fishing bluefin weren't you couldn't weigh them in as a category fish Mm -hmm. so I'm like y'all want to catch one they're like hell yeah we do so we wheel around there and we have to pull through a little bit of grass to get this other big patch of grass I'm like y'all clean the lures so 
to make it through. I'm pulling past. They got the lures clean. Flat lines come past the end of the grass patch. Rigger baits come past the grass patch. Center rigger comes past the grass patch. Nothing. I'm like, holy shit. And then all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. We had four 130s and an 80 wide. And Jesus. every freaking lure we had, we had a bluefin on. Or strapped to all the right stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we break the 80 wide off because John didn't want to fight one on the 80 wide. And he grabs his fish, goes to the chair where we've got the other three. And I'm like, all right, y'all got to cut the other ones off. And they're like, no, let's wait. Make sure that that one stays hooked up. I'm like, all right, but if they all go down now, they're going to cut each other off. We got to, we got to pick one and, and go with it. And sure enough, two of them got together, broke off. And then we wound up with the other one. John's fish finally started going down. The other fish was down. I said, go ahead and cut the other one off. And uh, if not, we're going to lose both of them and we're not going to have anything. So they wound up cutting that one off. We fought that fish for like six and a half hours. Got the fish up to the boat. <clears throat> Finally got a gap in the fish. And then it took us an hour and a half just to get the fish in the boat. And, uh, Jesus, I bet. It wound up being the Alabama state record. Uh, it weighed 829 pounds. Wow. That's a hell of a fish so, right there. That was my first trip. <laughs> with the chasing with tail. The chasing huh? tail, yeah. I bet you were like, yeah, I want to get hired. I bet he was like, yeah, that, you're hired. <laughs> I, no, I was actually saying, God dang, what can I do to top this now? You know? <laughs> yeah, but still, it's definitely a sign of good luck in a way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like we were talking, everything's got to work together, you know? Yeah. Everybody's yeah. got to have that feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's a really cool story to start chasing tail. And y'all have been... Very successful, you know. We've done pretty good, you know. I mean... Sounds like you wish you'd <laughs> feel like you could have done better. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody always feels like they could have done Whenever better. Whenever you get you back know. to the dock. Huh? Yeah. It's, uh, you got good trips, bad trips. Bad trips make the good trips better. Yeah, yeah. So, which, my boss and crew, they all understand that. And that makes it... That makes it good, you know. Yeah. And you've been with the Chase and Tail for 16 years now, or mm-hmm. 15, 15, 16 years. That's pretty cool. And uh, with them, I guess, or with any of those other boats, have you done, um, you know, a lot of traveling? Uh, with uh, the Sea Reaper, we went to Isla one year, uh, which that's a big story too. I don't, I don't know if we got enough time for that. <laughs> oh, we got as much time no, as you want. Man, it involves a hot dog stand and a golf cart. <laughs> Probably some stuff we don't need to talk about. <laughs> but uh, then I went uh, to Isla down there sail fishing on the condo money. Um, and then uh, the chase and tail, we left. We left the end of 06 and went to Costa Rica. And we stayed over in the Pacific for three years, I think. Fished Costa Rica, Panama, Puerto Vallarta, and Cabo San Lucas. Um, what was your favorite out of all those? They're Panama. all just so different? Or? I liked all of them, but Panama, I guess, would be my most favorite. Was because it because of the fishing or everything it has to offer? It was the fishing, and it was... 
whenever you leave, like you left coast, you left Los Sueños, you would go 20 miles, you'd fish, you'd come back, go out to eat dinner, and you'd do that the next day. When we left Panama, Panama City, Panama, we would leave and go to uh, Pinas Bay, and we were like 40 miles from the Columbia border. And um, <clears throat> the only way you could get there was by air or water. It's kind of like old right, right. Port Eads back in the day. <clears throat> we pull in there, and there's a military guy sitting on the dock with a machine gun, you know. Right, right. I mean, you're, they had problems while we were there, before we got there, and after we left with the Colombians. The, with the drugs and that and type that of stuff, stuff gunshots and gunfights. I guess it's just like of kind of, of like secluded. It makes you feel oh, like yeah. you're and gone, then you're off the map kind of stuff. Huh? Then there's the the Indians down there. The, there's a little Indian village, and we were happened to be there during New Year's. Yeah. Um, you go tie up in Pinas Bay, and the little Indians have come out there in their little Cayuca canoes. They don't speak any English mm-hmm. but they've got all this handmade stuff and they climb up on your boat and they unload all this stuff and they lay it out on the mezzanine on the gunnels and it's mm-hmm. necklaces it's wood hand wood carvings it's these paddles that's got blue marlin carved into them and uh, they just sit there and you know you'll point and you know buy what you want yeah so. you buy it from them you know it's usually it's kids that come out there and then <clears throat> So would you say maybe the bigger difference was that, like, I mean, I've been to Los Sueños. I haven't been to Panama yet, but, you know, Los Sueños is, like, it's developed. It's touristy. I mean, it was nice. Yeah, Los Sueños is nice, but I feel like what you're saying is in Panama, you got more of, like, a cultural experience. You kind of felt like you're off the grid more. It was like, you know. I mean, I think all the captains, you have that adventure-seeking mentality all the time. So, like, I know what it's like. I've been to some, like, really remote islands and stuff that it's... Really, you can't recreate that type of culture that you see. No. That's just so real. You know? And then it's kind of, you get a kind of a wild, wild west feel too. You know, yeah. we were out fishing, and uh, we found a a dead body floating out there. A guy floating. Jesus. He'd been out there for a little while. It looked like maybe he had gotten his throat cut or something and thrown overboard. I don't know, but. Wow. Anyway, that was kind of wild. Yeah. It's memorable mm-hmm. stuff like that is yeah. memorable for sure. <laughs> Which, working with my boss and them on the chase and tail, we always wind up somehow or another finding some kind of something crazy going on. <laughs> then, um, I feel like a lot of you know, like fishermen or teams or I don't know, captains. I know like they have that that luck about them or something that just. I mean, maybe it's just the amount of time being out there. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you. It's a vibe on the boat, man. You got to, mm-hmm. everything's got to work together. You know, if the old saying, one bad apple will spoil the whole bunch. Yeah. That's from back sailing <laughs> time. You know, they yeah, would carry fruit. And if they had one bad apple in the barrel, it would cause all the other to rot. And Right. But uh, it's kind of the same thing. If uh, what, got, what, what would you say makes like a really good deckhand? Um, you know, I, I know you said that, you know, like charter boat experience and good work ethics one, but like maybe some, and not just on a deckhand, maybe like a first mate or um, even like a chef. Cause I ain't gonna lie, I've been on a boat one time where I felt like the chef played such a big role in the morale of the boat 
and just you know having that attitude and like people kind of look forward to his meals and stuff it was just like yeah. a, i don't know it, it just seemed like he he made the he he made his part shine, you know what yeah. I mean, as best as he could. And like somebody like a chef on a tournament boat, you wouldn't think is that big of a deal. But no, really, yeah. everybody on the boat's a really yeah. big deal. You know? Everybody's got to have their part, and everybody's got to be. Everybody's got to be in tune, I guess. You know, everybody's got to be positive and be happy. I mean, you need to be happy. Hell, you're out there enjoying one of God's greatest creations, you know? Yeah, yeah. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, you got to keep it fun. You got to keep it positive. You know, we, my crew, if we're fishing and, man, we lose a fish, we're not sitting there stomping and cussing and mad and all that. Yeah, we were kind of aggravated about it, but hell, that's fishing. You know, what's that going to do you? <laughs> no, no, you're going to waste time. Go ahead yeah. and get the baits back out, you know. Yeah. And uh, try yeah. again. I've seen it with a lot of fishermen. I don't I don't know what that is, but I've seen, you know, a bad attitude on a boat, man. That's that's a very toxic and it's contagious, too. Very. <laughs> it really is. Very it it spreads like wildfire sometimes. I mean, and that goes back to, like I was saying, you know, interviewing for a job. Go fishing with the people because... Yeah. You're liable to get out and get offshore and be like, man, I don't really want to be here, right. you know. Yeah. And if you, the captain, don't want to be there, then do everybody a favor and go somewhere else. Yeah. You know, <laughs> do yourself a favor. Yeah, I felt like I was the same way as a can. Like, I never, I from, you know, just thinking back on it, there wasn't a time where I didn't want to try the job out for two or three days before I, you know, said yes to a certain captain because... If I get on a boat where a captain's he's hot headed and he's yelling at me, like I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going the other way. <laughs> well, I think we've all had to deal with that. Yeah, and then that, that's one thing too. Sometimes you got to put up with some shit to get to where you want to be. Yeah, and you know, there's some you know truth in that for sure. But um, yeah, I guess you got to find you know find what's right for yourself for mm-hmm. sure. You know, but we usually you know we don't have too many disagreements. Yeah, my crew. Everybody's good, man. Yeah. And if, you know... It's almost like, you know, nobody's any better than anybody else. It's just everybody's got a different job on the boat. <laughs> that, and as far as mates go, and captains too, everybody does the same thing, but they do it just a little bit different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's one thing. Whenever I hire a mate, we go over, you know, kind of what we do and how we do it and that type of stuff and then you gotta let the mate figure out his routine and then let him settle in and then if there's some little bit of tweaking or something like that yeah we'll you know adjust a little bit but um but not demand it you know right right um you don't want to change them too much you want to let them shine let them do their own thing yeah a lot of times show show them yeah but um that makes sense because you don't want to try and you know change. It's either going to fit and it's going to work. You don't right. want to try to like Make change it. somebody to right. to a point where they feel uncomfortable or they're not they're not comfortable at all. But on the same token, you got to have a mate that if something needs to be changed, that they accept that as well. Right. You right. Know? Yeah. That's very interesting. I, I really appreciate those. So I guess go ahead and tell us about like um, some of your biggest wins. I know I remember y'all won. 
what was it, like 400 and something thousand? 460. 460. <clears throat> yeah. And that was catch and release? No, that was killfish. That was killfish, um, okay. Now, we had some releases in that, too, um, but our grand total was like 460,000. That was at the uh, Blue Marlin Grand Championship here in Orange Beach at the wharf. And what year was that? That was 2017. 2017? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that. It was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> we've had a few other wins, 200-and-something thousand in Emerald Coast, 140,000 in the Emerald Coast, several 60s and 80,000s. And, um, right. And uh, could you maybe tell us, like, uh, like, what happened that day with that you know that that big one that y'all killed and how how much did it weigh that one was 502 pounds which usually in that tournament that yeah, yeah that's just a you need a bigger one yeah than that. <laughs> usually that tournament you might not even get nothing yeah <laughs> but uh we lucked out you know was that a rough was that a rough tournament was no that, uh-uh. it was slick calm it was pretty calm um we left out carried well no we didn't have bladders at the time so we left here and ran into Venice, fueled up, ran down the river, and was headed to Greens Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we started fishing at the Helix Producer. And, uh, there was a couple of boats there, and we fished there. And then we picked up and ran south and went to um, Constitution, is where we went to. There was another rig down there close to it. I can't remember. We went to it first, made a couple of laps, and then the Constitution wasn't that far. And we were like, let's just throw the lures out. And just for the people listening, about how far is that? You said that's the Emerald Coast. So y'all left from No, Dep- no, no. That was the wharf. Oh, yeah, the Grand Champ. Okay, mm-hmm. so y'all left from Orange Beach and went over there. That's like, what, 200 miles or more, maybe? Two. I want to say it's 248 or 250, but it's just like 250. Okay. 250, that's a long way. Long... Y'all carry fuel and everything? We do now. At, you did at the didn't, time? We didn't at the time. That's why yeah. we ran into uh, Venice. Venice. Yeah, and got fuel. And um, wow. So we threw the lures out and headed over to the Constitution. And we were about a mile from the rig and the fish bit. And as soon as it bit and started jumping, we knew it was a killfish, you know. Wow. Was on a lure? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's fa- awesome, man. The old-fashioned way, you know. <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. You know, I, I never knew that about yeah. that fish because, like, I just assume anybody that's winning these days is live bait and just <laughs> no we you know we still lure fish some you yeah. know um there'll be a lot of times we're live baiting and that type of stuff and we're seeing some fish and they're kind of not really wanting to commit so sometimes you can throw lures out and get a reaction bite out of them <laughs> and um that kind of makes sense honestly mm-hmm. just moving more whenever especially if it's flat, flat calm, nothing going on, you know. How long was the fight on that fish? That wasn't very long. I think we fought that fish for like 45 minutes. Really? Got it done? Y'all ran it straight in? Or? No, we put the fish on the boat, and uh, it was a legal fish. Um, so it wasn't a giant fish, so we decided we were going to stay out. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, soon as we put the fish in the boat, got everything settled, we threw some live bait out, and, I mean, we were instant on again, you know, but this was a small fish. We tagged it and let it go. Um, 
then um, that night we chugged all the way from uh, Tahiti, the Tahiti rig. We chugged all the way from there all the way back up to, I want to say, the Tinkerbell. I think's where we wound up starting the next morning. So that way we'd make some time up yeah, the hill, you know. There, huh? <laughs> and then, of course, we started rig hopping there and finished up the last little bit of our fishing at the Ram Powell and then hmm. ran on in and then weighed the fish. Yeah. <clears throat> I think they were... Had to be a good feeling, huh? Oh, yeah. Place I mean, fish, it's man. always That's... a good feeling whenever you got a dead <laughs> one on the deck. Yeah. That is awesome. That's yeah. really cool. So, uh, I guess, is there any other big wins or any other stories you like to divulge into I, I mean there's several you know different things as far as fish go but <clears throat> I guess one of the most memorable things uh, the fishing community we all came together and raised um, a pretty substantial amount of money for a little boy that had cancer mm-hmm. so that was pretty cool that um we all came together and did that, you know. That's pretty cool. Y'all did that right after that tournament? I want to say it was a year or two after. I got you. Uh, little boy named Baxter Duddy. That's really cool. So, Just throughout the tournament community or the fishing Yeah, community? you know, we all pledged that we were going to donate a percentage if we won. Mm, okay. And uh, that was amongst the captains and mates and stuff. And then... Um, some of the boat owners found out about it, and man, they, did, they, they really, did. they yeah. really put forth the effort. That's so, good. Is there uh, any like, re- like your most memorable catch that's maybe uh, not tournament related, or like maybe like a a catch that like I mean I have a lot whenever I was a kid, you know, or like really early in my fishing career as a captain that like, you know, things that I did I was just like. You know, really, like, when you think back on it, it makes you, like, enjoy it's that most epic feeling of accomplishment, which I'm sure you felt, you know, the time that you win on tournament day, but there had to have been some catches, you know, before then that kind of led up to, you know, your addiction for fishing. I can remember back <clears throat> whenever I first started deckhanding, and uh, just several trips leaving Orange Beach and going to Port Eads. There was no floater rigs. There was no, nothing like that. The only, the, you, you went down there and you fished South Pass Rip and you fished <laughs> from the Cognac to the Lena. You didn't go past the Lena. And whenever you came back to Cognac, you might go a little past it, but you always fished in between. And I, never could understand I was like well why don't we just keep going down the rip you know oh we won't catch anything down there sure shit if we went on past it we never hardly got any bites we always fished right there at the cognac clean and it was like <laughs> man it was a treat to go down there and um we had some very good trips down there that was uh what year like was that that was uh 87 87 yeah so that's long man that's that's as long as, you know, Venice. I mean, there wasn't much going on in Venice. There was nothing in Venice. Yeah, was I mean, nothing. there was nothing. <laughs> we left We left one time and went up there. We went up the river. The boat I worked on, we didn't have a radar. 
and um, we didn't have back then you didn't have GPS chart plotter you had Loran and um, so we going up the river we got to go pick up the boss up there well we leave with enough time out of Orange Beach and we get to Port Eves we spend the night the next day we get up we go up the river and the boss was supposed to have been there and then we were going to come back down the river good daylight and all that well he got lost <laughs> and he was bringing all the food and stuff so we're sitting there and I'm starving to death and I'm like man I'm going to find us a hamburger or something so I get off the boat and I go up there's a levee right there mm-hmm. right when you come in to jump the first little little pocket that's right there I don't know what it's called now but you could get fuel there you couldn't get fuel anywhere else <clears throat> but we were up in there tied up so and it had already gotten dark so I go you know my captain at the time Ben he's like man be careful you know it's kind of wild down here I'm like man I'll be fine so I go across the levee and there's the road so I'm walking up the road and there's a old beer joint you know I'm like oh man that would be a good burger man I get one of those you know I'll go in there and sit down and eat and I'll bring him one I get about 50 yards from the damn thing man it was like there was a fire inside people come flying out of there and then there's gunshots and stuff man I'm ducking diving I'm like holy shit so all that settled down I'm like damn I'm still hungry but I'm not going in there so I going down the thing and there was a place it was like mom and pop's steak and laundry is kind of what I, if I remember right it's kind of what it was called I'm like well so I go in there and get us a couple of burgers go back to the boat I'm like man you won't believe what happened he's like oh bullshit I'm like, yeah that is crazy <laughs> first so time boss, in Venice <laughs> yeah, that was my first first time in Venice <laughs> so that's the other thing with these boats man there's Boats, yeah, that's what one There's of the things I was going to get on. Stories to I could tell that you would be like, no way. I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the boss shows up finally. We get everything loaded up, head back down the river. Like I said, no radar. We finally make it to Port Eves, spend a night, get up the next day. and It I, was foggy? No, it wasn't foggy then. It was just dark. Right, man. right, I mean, right. No radar, freaking lights and stuff and man you'd be going you're like you see lights and you're like what the heck you turn the spotlight on and it'd be a ship you're like holy crap you get off the side of the river and yeah. go on down but yeah, that mississippi river is a scary place man yeah. it really is <laughs> as far as navigating it there's shallow spots never ending and mm-hmm. and the fog and there's a lot of bad elements. but the first time i went to port eads we pulled in there and um, Buzzy was there. I don't know if you remember Buzzy. He was kind of a character. And they had that old horse that was a sway back horse there. And uh, so we pull in the little cut there, and we pull in. The first thing I see is a police boat. But the only thing you can see on it is the top and the police lights. Somebody done sunk the police boat down there. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, this is going to be great. <laughs> and... Uh, we fit, We came down there. We fished New Orleans Invitational. That was a tournament we would fish down there, and man, there would be boats from Texas and all kind of stuff. And it was old raggedy 
the dock, man, if you jumped on a dock at halftime, it was underwater and it was slick with green slime on it, you'd bust your ass. And, you know, you'd get up in the morning and there'd be people out and about and there'd be, you couldn't get good water, you mm-hmm. know. There yeah. wasn't potable water. You had to bring your own water. If you did use the water there, you didn't drink it. And you just showered with it. And I can remember ladies that were fishing with their husbands or whatever have the tuna door open or sitting on a dive platform shaving their legs in the marina. <laughs> it was crazy. It's yeah. pretty crazy. Alligators <laughs> swimming around. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I would love to hear if you have any other stories about Port Eads because, like, let me tell you what. I knew Port Eads when after it's already been built back since Katrina. And that's it. It's not even really Port Eads anymore. (laughs) They should call it something else. The old clubhouse was epic. Was it really? Yeah, it was super cool. And they had pictures from way back. And they still got some of the old pictures in the new clubhouse. And they had old Blue Marlin mounts. There was one Blue Marlin mount there, and the bill. I guess it had gotten damaged and it curved up. That was on the wall for years. Well, hmm. Whenever they would have that tournament, they would have a big giant crab bowl, shrimp bowl, crawfish. We would all be on the dock and and eating and throwing shrimp and crab shells and stuff in the river hmm. and the gar and the catfish and everything. Cat, they'd just be swimming up there eating. And, um, I've also heard stories back in those tournaments and stuff like, you know, tuna were kind of like a, like people didn't, I don't know, I've heard of them getting their stories and tossing them off the dock after the tournaments and stuff. It was like people didn't really even want all the stuff that they were killing down no, there. I didn't see any of that, but now back whenever, like I said, I started fishing before there were any floaters or anything. Right, and We would right. fish a lot of open water. And would y'all go far from the shelf or no? If we went, if we're fishing out of here, out of Orange Beach, if we went south and we went to the spur, we fished the spur, the double nipple, that was kind of a long trip. Now, if you went on down to Lloyd's Ridge, man, that was, you know, that was far. That was a long way, you know. (laughs) It was like, what was it like you know you always wanted to know what what do you think about Port Eads made it special back then because I mean like now I mean that place you know they they built it back and now they shut it down and like you know they tried to bring it back for a little while here and that it just had a lot of character it had it had I guess it had pedigree you know what I mean yeah. Or maybe there's not a big of a need for it now because we can go Man, so damn far with our boats we got now. If they would dredge it and do that, people would still use it. You think you know? so? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I one of the things I've thought of is like, and you know, it's a lot more expensive to stay there now. And I know for most of the private guys and stuff, that doesn't you know make a difference. But I feel like if they make it uh, cheaper, you build up hype behind it first before trying to go up on the prices because. I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like it. that's the way you build hype is getting a lot of people down there and talking good about the place. Well, I mean, it's if you could get big boats up in there now, there would be people that would be there, and then people would 
Yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah, I guess, I mean, as soon as they got done with it, it's almost like you couldn't get in there. <laughs> it wasn't like it was. They quit maintaining the pass and, the, yeah. and that, that, uh, that cut there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I hate to see it the way it is yeah. now, not really being used because, I mean, I've got some fond memories down there yeah it does suck because like a lot of the the only main things that they're dredging now i know they got some money going other places right now but uh you know they mainly just dredge the whole you know river southwest pass and Mm -hmm. it's like you gotta you gotta open up more passes so that water can flow a little better there's a lot of stuff that goes into there's a lot more to that than i know yeah (laughs) i guess we have to deal with a lot you know being over there But. but You know, you've been a uh, captain for a long time. You, you've seen a lot of different boats. Can you tell us, like, anything big difference whenever it comes to the difference between, like, a Hatteras or a Viking versus, like, a, a custom boat, a Bayless or you know, any of those, you know, big customs? Well, I mean, they're all good boats. Don't get me wrong. Um, and any boat I'm on, I'm proud to be on it, you know? Yeah. Um. I'm fortunate that my boss likes custom boats. Mm-hmm. Um, the ride on a custom boat, you're not going to get it on a production boat. I don't care which one it is. Right. Um, our boat, we can be we can be out there spending the night, and which we got gyros and stuff, which most everybody's got gyros now. But um, what is y'all's uh, boat? What is it? It's is an that? eighty-foot weaver. It's a weaver, right? Um, and spending the night out there it's not creaking and cracking and popping and all that and if we're we get out there and it gets rough and we want to run home I got to run in a head sea man I can run in a six foot head sea making 32 to 36 knots wow and not worry about anything anything wow I mean you're going to get a little bit wet Mm-hmm. But instead of a, it's only going to take me three hours to get home. Where everybody else got to slow down, it's going to take them four to six. Yeah, you yeah. know. Um, and then, um, man, they just how fast is that boat? I mean, they're impressive. I've seen them. I've, it's pretty embarrassing when you're on a you're in a center console with you know quad engines, and you got one of these things passing you. <laughs> It's pretty impressive. Whenever we got the boat new, and I did not have any tackle or anything like that on it, the fastest, and it light on fuel, the fastest I saw our boat was 44 knots. Yeah, that's pretty fast. And then we got to fine-tuning some stuff and putting fuel and tackle and bait and people and gear and food and ice and you know you start adding weight and then I had to adjust our props a little bit to take a little bit of load off the motors um so I lost a little bit of speed so now we're you know with everything going on I can I'm still at 41 41 and a half top end wow Fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, you put boat is real fast. That's real fast. What are some of the fastest out there as far as your big sporties go? Man, I mean, 45, they're, I think they got a few of them that they're pushing 50 knots now. Really? But, you know, 
you're not going to do that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you're not doing that. Half the time, unless, you know, you're running out on a tournament and here comes yeah. your buddy beside you and he's mm-hmm. creeping up, creeping up, and then, you know, yeah. you, you got to. They talk about that, too, down in Venice with the center consoles. It's like, who's fastest in the river, right. who's fastest in the gulf, you know? There's, yeah. a, there's a difference to it. <laughs> not how fast you go, it's how long you can go fast. <laughs> Yeah, how long you can go fast. That's a good way to put it. And then as far as the custom boats go too, you know, whenever, if you get ready, your boss gets ready to sell, I mean, if my boss wanted to sell his boat tomorrow, there might be one other 80 weaver on the market, maybe. Mm-hmm. So if he wanted to sell it, it can be gone. It can be gone tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. so if he was building another boat... Which that's a lot of people's concern is, well, I don't want to have to be paying for two boats. He could go ahead and build another boat, and as soon as it's done, put this one on the market, and it, he probably wouldn't have to hold on to it very long. And right. be gone. Man, one thing I always ask myself, because like, I've seen the boating market from center consoles you know, all the way up to those big boats like you guys are running. It don't seem like there's no end in the end in the market as far as like it falling. Like I've only seen it ever go up ever since I was a little kid. Yeah. And uh, I mean, is it like the housing market? Do you ever see it crash at any point? I, mean, I don't really, know much about that. I mean, stuff. see it slow down, you know. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like at the same time, there's always a need for it because like anybody that has a lot of money. Most of them, they, they're still going to buy a new boat if that's what they want. Yeah. You know, they're not going to go buy a used boat if that's not what they want. You know? And then with on the economy and stuff, what I've seen in the past is if you got Republicans in office, then this bunch over here does real well. Mm-hmm. And then if you got Democrats in office, well, this, this bunch sector is over well, here is yeah. doing well. So somebody's always, somebody's always doing, doing good. Yeah. well. Um. And, you know, the boats like I run and a lot of the other guys that do with the tournaments and stuff, I mean, it's a luxury item. Yeah. Um, which, things get bad. <laughs> That's not it's a good the first thing. thing first thing, really the first thing that gets cut, aren't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> I've been fortunate that with the people that I'm with, they, they hang in there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like it's pretty cool. I, I could see, you know, uh, you know, working for an owner for a long time, like you have, you know, 15 plus years. It gets to be family, man. It makes it more fun. I could yeah. see it definitely yeah. being like that. You want People want to have a purpose and they want to feel right. like they want it there. I could see it being awesome. It's uh, like my boss, man. He comes down, gets on the boat. I can tell if he's had a hectic Week. week or a month or something and man you, you'll you see him loosen up and then you know alright let's go fishing yeah you know and then he's he's not thinking about work anymore yeah you yeah. know which that's what it's for right right that's so, cool and I guess you know you gotta realize what what he wants you know that's a big thing yeah too. I mean he wants the same thing we want yeah. he wants to win you know yeah. he wants yeah. to go have a good time he wants to go see fish he wants to go yeah that's really cool, man. That, it's really. Uh, can, can would you want to divulge a little? Like, as your as the rest of y'all's crew been with you guys a long time, or is it? I just recently the mate that I had.
prior to the one I've got now, he took captain's job, and he mm-hmm. had been with me for a good long while. So How I, long was he with you? Rustin was with me since 06. And, and he uh, just left? Last year. Last year? Yeah. Wow, that's cool. They uh, <laughs> uh, are friends for life, huh? Yeah, he, he took him a job, which it was time, you know. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. It was time for him to step on up and go do... Mm-hmm. <laughs> that and I got another mate, Tyler. He he's a good guy. Uh, Parker, you know Parker. He yeah, fishes all yeah. the time. Shout out to well. Parker. He's <laughs> how we had the connected you know, in here. <laughs> so, but you know, it's with a new mate, that type of stuff. It's just a you just it's a new dynamic on the boat. It's working. It's working good. Right. Um, we had the best season we ever had last year. Really? Yeah. Uh, Parker told me, I remember you texted, I texted him one day, y'all had a day last year, y'all went like 7 for 14, 14 yeah. or something like that. 7 for 14. And I saw some videos from that day, it looked pretty epic. <laughs> 7 for 14, and the crazy thing about it, 13 of the bites were off of one rig. Wow, that's insane. We fished another rig first off, and hooked the fish, jumped it off. And then there really wasn't much bait or anything there, so we ran back up to where we had caught bait. And uh, the bait was thick. We ran up there, and we're running back up to the rig, and, man, I crossed a a tide line, and it went from blue to green, and I'm like, oh, God dang. (laughs) I'm like, well, we're already here. Let's catch some bait. So we started catching bait, and now that we got the sonar, I'm looking on the sonar and I'm like, hey, it looks like there's a blue marlin over here. And I'm like, well, you want to put the baits out? And I'm like, let's try to fill the tubes up and then we'll we'll throw them out. And I didn't get that out of my mouth good. And right where I was marking that fish, bait started showering and fish was chasing bait. And they're like, let's get the baits out. I'm like, yeah, let's get them out. And man, we went, caught that fish. And then while we were fighting that fish, I'm like, I'm marking another fish. Y'all, you know, let's get this one in. This was during the new tournament, the invitational tournament, that they're trying they're trying to get a, a million-dollar purse in the Gulf. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> so we kept fishing there, and, I mean, it just kept happening and happening and happening and happening and happening. It was crazy. The best bite you'd ever seen? Yeah. Really? School mm-hmm. of Blue Marlins, huh? <laughs> yeah, they were, I mean, and, you know, we were looking for a big fish, but hadn't, they didn't get enough boats in the tournament that first year to, they do a first, second, third, and fourth place, so what boats we had, they just did one first place payout, and um, the CE won it, I think mm-hmm. Patrick and I and them caught a, yeah, they caught a Blue Marlin. It made the length, but I think George and them beat them on weight, and we're sitting there fishing, and I'm like, man, I hope nobody catches anything because we'll win with tag and release, you know. Yeah. But it didn't happen. But still, we had a great trip, you know. That's pretty cool. I mean, That's epic, yeah. I'm sure nobody was in bad spirits no, about a trip like that. No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, and then the other thing, I was sitting there, and we kept catching these 300 400 that was a couple of 500 pound fish and i kept saying man these you know usually your smaller fish are males anyway 
And uh, I kept saying, with all these males here, there's got to be a dang giant one, you know. There's, mm-hmm. you know, we'll sore mouth all of these, and then she'll come up and eat or something. Yeah. But it never, never happened. did, never did pan out. So, what's your biggest blue moron? Do you have a weight, or do you have one? The that? biggest one I ever caught, we didn't kill the fish. You didn't kill it. Mm-mm. We were, I was on a charter, and we were fishing down towards the double nipple, and we were fishing a. Uh, a whale shark. Oh, really? Yeah. That's nice. a big bunch of bait on a whale shark. And like National Geographic. Yeah, huh? it was crazy. <laughs> We'd come around there, we hooked the fish on a 50 wide, and the fish never acted like it was hooked. You know, really? it was crazy. It didn't really jump or anything. We'd back up to the fish. We'd get close to it, almost fish and grab the leader, and the fish would go down. And then we'd take off and come what back up to the to top. <laughs> and then we kept doing that. I don't know. We did that for three hours. And they were like, we were on a charter. My charter captain was like, just cut the damn thing off. We got to go back to fishing. And I'm like, no, we got to get our hands on it. You know, I want to see this fish. Finally, we get backed up there to it. And I grabbed a leader. We get the fish up there and build a fish. And the damn thing about broke my ribs. And we got good pictures of it. I mean, the fish was... Eight hundred plus, easy, easy, easy. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a big fish. That's pretty wild, man. I, I've never caught anything that big. I think, man, biggest one I think I could attest to is maybe like four or five hundred. But we're always tuna fishing, so we're always got the wrong stuff on there. <laughs> You've been blue marlin fishing a long time, obviously. There's been a lot of innovation, like over time, even with fishing down to tournament, tournament tackle. To things that you outfit your boat with um you know you don't have to give away any secrets that you that you don't want to at all of course but is there anything that uh you know like the big game changers for me i think one of them was braided line like that was a huge game changer and one you know in yeah the sense. <clears throat> my biggest thing is <clears throat> the most recent is the sonar yeah and then um the other thing is the gyro stabilizers really I'm telling you, you got gyros, the Sea Keeper gyros are freaking the top choice, you know, they're top of the line. Um, what do those do as far as helping you fishing? I know they stabilize the boat, but they keep your bait still? No, it, it's, it's, a, it's a grind when we leave to go fishing. Mm-hmm. And if you get out there, if you're not traveling or... If you're sitting and just drifting, and even when it's calm, you get the rocking, and you'll get the rocking rock. If you don't have the gyros, you don't get any rest. Yeah, your body's constantly moving. Right, body, even, you don't even notice that you're constantly even moving. during the day, it's yeah. like you're constantly, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. With the gyros, man, I mean, you don't feel... You're still tired, but you're not as exhausted as you were. I could see that. And I've never been on a boat with gyros before, but I could definitely see it. I mean, fishing, you're mentally, you're exhausted because, you know, stuff's not working. You're not getting bit. You're like, man, I need to be over here. Do I need to go over there? And then, you know, well, how much time would I be able to stay there? And then, well, if I fish up in here... But if I run up in there and the water's turned, and you know, I mean, there's a lot of mental stuff. So the physical part of it, about being exhausted, I mean, it's it's it helps a lot. 
Yeah, I could see that for sure. I never thought about it as far as like a tournament, you know, fishing standpoint. But. So, it helps you. It I would say it'll probably add a, an extra ten to fifteen years to your fishing career. Right. You know. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Everybody knows we need some longevity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, but so right uh, that, and like I said, the, the sonars. The old searchlight sonars. I guess you, uh, for our listeners, like I obviously know what the sonar you're talking about, but what what's different from this sonar versus one that is uh, put on your traditional center console? The sonar that we, the first sonar we had was a searchlight sonar. It's kind of like a radar. It would mm-hmm. have to go all, if you got a blip, if you marked a fish, it would go all the way around, but it had a button. You could switch it back and forth where it would switch directions, and you'd have to sit there and do that to follow a fish. The sonars we've got now, the Omni sonar, it shoots 360 degrees, a 360-degree pulse every three three seconds or five seconds or something, three seconds. So you're constantly looking all the way around your boat. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so you you're looking and looking and looking and looking. It's changed. Used to you know you would be looking, watching for bait, watching, seeing birds or whatever, seeing you know a fish feeding, and you going over there to it. Now you're sitting there watching that screen. You know mm-hmm. I am. Yeah. I'm trying it, to see how many where that fish is and putting, yeah. putting yourself where you need to be. Kind of. Yep. Thing. I mean, a lot of what it'll do, you're still fishing the same way you fished before. But, say, if you're making a pass on the rig and you were going to keep going and maybe make a little bit of a down current pass and then come back around, if you, instead of going that way, if you mark something over here to your right, you're going to turn and go over there. You know what I mean? Where right, if right. you didn't have it, you wouldn't have made that turn and yeah, you wouldn't, wouldn't have caught that, got fish. that light. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. The, um, and so, like, ever since, like, I remember hearing about the sonar when it, I guess it first came out or some people using it or whatever, but it's gotten better even since then, I guess. For, and over the last five years, it's gotten insanely better. Yeah. And a lot wow. of people's got them now. I mean,. Yeah, just because you got them, though. <laughs> yeah, you got to learn how to use them. There's a big learning curve in it. You yeah. Know? Um, I, uh, they have them for, uh, I, I watched, I have never seen the ones that you guys use, but I've seen the ones they use on, like, crappie fishing. Uh-huh. This, this, the live scope. Yeah, that's, it's different. Oh, I'm sure it's a lot different, but it's kind of the same concept, right? You're trying kinda, to put, yeah. the, put your bait where that fish is, yeah. so to speak. But it's kind of made me want to get one for inshore fishing, honestly. Well, like the sonars we have, I guess you would have to have that one, like you were talking about crappie fishing. But I was thinking put it on like your trolling motor. Yeah, you could do that. They would do that, but that would be good for inshore fishing. The ones we've got, man, if you up in some shallow water, you can't hardly use it. Right, right, right. I'm sure they could. I mean, it's only going to get better. I'm sure we're headed that way. <laughs> Every bay boat out there is going to have one eventually. It it's only be, getting better. <laughs> won't be long. You'll mark something on the screen like, oh, he ain't but 200 pounds. We're not going to worry about it. <laughs> you know. Okay, guys, there's one over here. It's 600 pounds. We're going to go for it. Yeah. Do you feel like it's it's made fishing more fun or has it made it kind of more, uh, I mean, you you got to do it because you're competing with everybody else. 
But does that is it making it more fun or is it making it more uh, I guess geeky? No, I mean it's still fun, and I mean it's not a silver bullet either. You know what I mean? Right. It's, you, if you got a sonar, it's not going to guarantee you anything. Right, right, right. You, you got to have everything else to put it together. Right. You still got to go pick the right spot. Yeah. I could see it being fun because, like, I mean, we're all trying to get out there and get better. So anything that's going to make you better, you're just going to want that as well. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely not a silver bullet, you know. Um, What are some other things? Like, uh, do you you guys use uh, fluorocarbon? Oh, yeah. What what type of fluorocarbon? Seaguar. Seaguar. See, I'm a huge supporter this cigar sponsored us um mexican gulf and i can't say enough good things and i've always said that any tournament fisherman is going to be using cigar yep. there's no doubt well, about it we, we just got a sponsorship with them too really um this will be our first year with them and you know we we go through a lot you yeah. know yeah especially we tournament yeah. fishing and that type of stuff you got to have a certain length leader. Everything's got to be right. You got your live bait fishing. Shark comes up. Barracuda comes up and eats the bait. Well, then you got a nick, and then you know, or yeah. you catch a blue marlin or something. Well, you're not going to reuse that leader. You got to do a whole another one. Man. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm sure y'all use a pile of it, man. We used a lot this year. Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, how? I mean, uh, j- just to show some love to Seaguar, you know, like how how do they compare versus other fluorocarbons that you use? Could you, I mean, would you feel like just holding it and everything about it better? Have you seen a noticeable difference in the bites that you've had? Just to, um, the one thing about it, I mean, we snail all our hooks and the knots, like it ties better. Ties better. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's not as brittle. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like, too, like, I mean, just fishing the rigs and stuff a lot, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. You don't want to fish with, like, nicks and stuff in your line. But, I've, I mean, as a charter fisherman, I've seen that stuff go through some, some tough, tough, like, frays and stuff. I'd be like, there ain't no way we're getting, you know, that thing's going to hold anything. And it, it right. does because if you ever split it, you can tell it's a bunch of little bitty fibers right. in there that's holding it up. So it's, I mean, it's some strong stuff. <laughs> You try to keep it the best you can, but, you know, you're liable to be fishing around there and there'll be a piece of wood or something come past your bait. It might mm-hmm. nick it with a barnacle or something like that. Or bill rash. Yeah, I mean, rash, yeah, I mean it, it's it's good stuff. Yeah, I definitely say it's the best. I, don't, I haven't seen anything that's comparable. I mean, they're, they're definitely comparable, but nothing is good for sure. <laughs> All right, so um, I guess to continue, just go ahead and tell us, you know, a little bit, you know, back in the day, everything was on cable with a mold craft and you know, <laughs> kind of changed to going to uh, live bait and at certain points. And I've heard a lot of rumors over the past about how live bait got started or whatever, but could you tell us, you know, wh- wh- how you got involved with live baiting for Blue Marlin or anything? My live baiting started whenever I was charter fishing. We started kite fishing mm-hmm. for tuna fish and I mean it was deadly <laughs> and the bites were phenomenal yeah you could see them huh? oh yeah. yeah and um so we what tournaments we would fish man we would get the kite up there for a little while we didn't even have outriggers on the boat and um 
then, you know, whenever I left charter fishing and stuff, then I went to the private boats and, of course, went back to trolling and we would do a little bit of live baiting. And then um, I guess it was Lane, Landry, and all them on the sea, they they started the live baiting, and, I mean, they were pretty dominant with it. And then Jason Buck piled in there with it, and it took us a little while, you know, um, and we were doing a little bit of live bait and still trolling, you know, and then now we're pretty much committed to just live baiting and doing a little, very little trolling. Now, mm-hmm. we still, we'll still do some trolling. It all depends on the conditions and what's going on, uh, the availability of bait. Um, I can sit and either troll a lure or drag a live bait around all day long. Doesn't matter either way. No, <laughs> but if I'm trying to catch bait, I don't know what it is. If I if they're not cooperating, I do not have the patience to sit there and continue to try to catch bait. I mean, that's my biggest. <laughs> I guess my biggest downfall, you know, you got to, you know, that's the most aggravating thing. Um, but you have to catch bait. You have yeah, to. you have it. to. It's I mean, just as important as the fish. Yeah, you <laughs> have to catch it. I guess that's what it is. You just have to do it. But, oh, and then there's been a lot of people, you know, oh, you know, live baiting, that's too easy and this and that. I'm like, no, you don't understand. We're up at 3 o'clock in the freaking morning. There's a lot more work involved. There is a lot more work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there's been some conflict. Lures over live bait, blah, 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 blah. I've even heard some of them say, like, they should they should make it illegal in the no. tournaments. There's, I mean, to me, that's just people that don't no. know how to live bait. <laughs> well, it's fishing. Yeah. You know what I mean? If It's fishing. As long as you're not going out there throwing dynamite overboard or putting out a damn long line... <laughs> You're legally fishing. Yeah, it is fishing. Yeah. So go and fish. Right, right. You know, I mean, okay, just like the wharf tournament. It's like, what are we supposed to do? Not get any better at it? <laughs> right. I mean, they were talking one time about having a lure category and a live bait category. And I'm like, no. It's a, <laughs> then I've got to get my boss to bet in the live bait category and the lure category. Had they had that during the wharf, when we want our money, we'll we might not have been betting a lure category. You know what I mean? Right, right. And it's just... And how do you regulate that? Yeah, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, it's fishing. Go fish, man. Right, I right. mean, just get out there and go. I mean, and if you feel like it's not fair, then don't fish the tournament. Right, right. I you know? agree with that. I definitely do. I, I mean, some of the same people are saying, oh, we, the boats are too fast, we can't compete. There's boats that are super slow that still go out there and catch fish mm-hmm. hell what y'all call those monkey boats <laughs> no I mean, that's some of the little boats but the little uh, boats anyway I mean heck back in the day charter boats whenever they fish tournaments they crushed the damn tournaments every yeah. time I yeah. mean was there was there a lot of uh, work involved and stuff whenever it came to uh, figuring out how to actually live bait? Was that just a lot of trial and error? Or uh, did... Yeah, you know, you just had to 
you just had to commit to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's slow. It's hot. Yeah. I mean, lure fishing, at least you get you a breeze. You, get you, you know a what breeze. I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, man, it's hot. I mean, you're dying out there, especially July and August. It's brutal. <laughs> Bad, it's brutal. It is. Yeah. It is. It's so hot out there. No doubt. So, but, but, no, I mean, people just need to go fish, you know. You got yeah. to... I mean, it's fishing, it's, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, in terms of in terms of conservation, um, do you you feel like we do like we do enough, or um, you know, what's some other efforts that you'd like to see happen? Um, you know, first I guess within the marlin tournaments, and then maybe next like as recreational anglers. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've seen you know docks of death that like just seems like way too much for people to keep. Um, yeah, now maybe that's not a problem in your mind. Maybe you could just, you know. As far as tournaments go, as far as concerning blue marlin, man, we're way ahead. The federal limit's still ninety nine inches, mm-hmm. and we keep going up and up and up on the minimum on on our killfish, um, and the. Blue marlin fishing is the best I have ever seen it in my entire career. So I, I, I think we're doing well there. Do you think that there's more now, or do you think that they were figuring out how to catch them more or catch them better? Both. Both. Yeah. I would say both. And then there's more people fishing for them, too. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, tuna fishing, whenever I first started fishing, like I said, we weren't fishing rigs or anything like that. We were fishing contours and and we were fishing um, rips and tide lines and open water and whale sharks and that type of stuff. And I can remember you would see just wads of big giant, I mean tuna fish. They would they would be water. crushing it. And you'd, <laughs> you'd go over and you'd catch two or three and then You'd get them in the boat, and then from then on, you would avoid them. Yeah. You know, especially you were tournament fishing, you you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I've seen it go down. Yeah. Um, I definitely see, too, it's like there's a lot more habitat for them. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, back whenever you, you were just talking, you know, you, you had cognac and, and Lena, and, you know, there was nothing else out there, so I wonder... If putting all those rigs out there has actually made more fish. I mean, it just, I mean, it, I don't know. It just seems like it might have. <laughs> well, they're a pelagic fish. They move, you know. Now, I think some of the findings they've found where they've tagged tuna fish, they some of them don't leave the Gulf. But um, mm-hmm. then there's a new batch that comes in, and, you know, well, I think we do have resident fish. Yeah, there's definitely proof of resident uh, tuna population. Um, but we still get new fish coming in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know why it is. Like the past fifteen years, I guess it's been. We really hadn't had the loop current do like it used to do. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, yeah. we hadn't had a lot of current. Where it comes in closer. Where it comes, I, I think. Whenever that thing does that, then you get you a new batch of fish. Yeah, you know, I blue marlin, tuna fish, dorado, all of it. Um, and that's that's just the way the ocean currents are. I don't yeah. think that has anything to do with us. But, 
mean, tuna fishing and stuff. How much can you really keep? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean... Well, the federal yeah. limit's three per person. I right. That's kind of crazy. But <laughs> three per person, I know when when we charter fished, man, we, we crushed them. Yeah. You know, and I mean, there were some days I was like, man, we got to quit. You know, we can't be doing this. And you'd have charters show up the next year and like, yeah, man, you know, we still got fish in our freezer from last year. And um, there were a few trips, you know, I would we would have a box full of tuna fish and Dorado and stuff like that. And I'm like, hey, guy, you know, I'd talk to the charter and I'd be like, hey, y'all want to go try to catch a blue marlin? Like, yeah, we got plenty of fish. Let's go. And I'm like, okay. I'd holler at the captain. like, hey, man, they want to go put some lures out and catch some blue marlin. No, the tuna fish are biting. I'm like, they want to go catch some blue marlin. No, 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 the tuna fish are biting. I'm like, we got plenty. They want to go catch some blue marlin, try to catch a blue marlin. What? I'm like, yeah. And so we would go, you know, you just, you know, I think a lot of times, especially charter fishing and stuff and private boat fishing, um, just for instance, with my bunch, we'll go make a meat haul and try to catch, take one trip. We're not worried about blue marlin fishing or anything like that. And we'll go try to load the boat up with some tuna fish. And then we'll get them in. Everybody gets them some fresh fish. And then the rest of it, we take and can it. Because mm-hmm. it keeps way better. Way better. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll freeze a little bit. But you can only leave it frozen for so long. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it gets canned. Mm-hmm. And we're done. Now, we get out fishing. Of course, if we're tournament fishing, we're not targeting tuna fish. But right. um, if we're fun fishing, and the tuna bite's real good. Like, you know, boss, y'all need some tuna fish? Yeah, let's catch one or two. And that's all they that's all they care about. They they don't care about breaking the dock down with tuna fish anymore. They right. they want what they need, or they're like, oh, well, you know, let's let's catch let's catch one more because I want to give some to a friend of mine, you know. Yeah. But instead of going out there and catching a box full of tuna fish, my people, you know. Yeah, I think it's what like people see a picture online or like something somebody did, one of their relatives did a long time ago, and they're yeah. like, man, I want to go do that yeah. too, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's really not about that. Yeah. But I mean, that's cool, you know. <laughs> Everybody's got to do that, but yeah, yeah, they do. And but you know, one thing I've always kind of thought is it's the ones that are killing the most that are going to wind up protecting it. It just seems that way over and over again throughout our history. Right? It's the love of it, and it's well, the, you know, I mean, the people actually doing it. That's I know gonna this protect too. It. Charter fishing, it's competitive. Mm-hmm. It is, and you'll have those stretches where man fishing's good and man you know all right well we're going we're only going to keep two per person you know okay everybody agrees to it well then you get a week where fishing's tough Mm -hmm. you know you're (laughs) catching some barely legal fish and man i mean it's you know you're scraping trying to keep your customers happy which you know Mm -hmm. and they're happy and stuff but you're not happy Mm-hmm. You're you're not happy, <laughs> and then all of a sudden something turns on. I hit a rig. And, oh, we got a hundred pounder. Oh, there's another hundred pounder. Oh, there's another, you know like. And then you come in and you like got your chest yeah. out and stuff. But hey, it it happens and it's that's all good and that's why you do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
But uh, you just just can't do that all the time. I don't yeah. think. I mean, it's not going. There's so many people fishing now that I don't think it can sustain it for very long. Doing really, that. doing what we're doing as far well, as well. I mean, we're doing a lot better, but I feel like you know what? I've honestly feel like the mentality. I think what has to keep happening is the mentality. It, you, you can change the laws all you want, but I think it comes down to like you know, you, like the, the your owner's mentality. What he has, well, you know, he's like he feels like that's enough. And it's like you snapper can, fishing here. Yeah. All right. Before we had snapper seasons and limits and stuff like that, man, we would have people come down. And they were like, oh yeah, you know, hell, we would come in anywhere from five, six, seven, eight hundred pounds of fish. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, which was good for me because I got fish cleaning. Mm-hmm. And then they started with the limits and the size limits and all that. And then people were like, oh, you know, the people that were used to killing the world, they stayed it out. Yeah. Now you got a new batch of people. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, you know, we want to go have a good time, cook on the big green egg, and, you know, we get us a nice mess of fish, we're good to go. And then I talked to some of the charter guys here, and you just tra- you kind of train or you get a different group of customers, and they'll have people that have come down and go fishing. They're like, well, we don't really want to keep anything mm-hmm. but enough for dinner tonight. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> this is a different deal. Yeah, where, where did these people come from? But, I mean, that's just the way it is. You but know? I think that comes down to, like, you know, as a guide, I've started to realize that, you know, people, people want what you're selling them. So if you're selling, like, if you sell, if you say that you're selling them 700 pounds of fish and they see that all over your, you know, charter website or whatever, well, no, we that's never, what the hell, that's what the hell they're coming that's to do. That's what they were used to. Right, right. They, they, that's how you built your name was killing lots and lots of fish and that's what they come to. And it's like now guides can build their name in other ways, you know. Like there's, you know, there's you're selling smiles, not boxes full of fish. You know, there's well, there's back, a whole there's a whole dynamic to that as well. <laughs> back when we were running so many trips, I mean, it was a kind of a double meaning. Like our big saying on the Sea Reaper was, "Every day is a Saturday on the Sea Reaper." Well, for the customer, every day was a Saturday because they were off work and they were fishing. Mm-hmm. For us, every day was a Saturday because we didn't know what day it was. <laughs> I mean, we, we knew it was the 15th, and we had 15 head of people, and tomorrow was the 16th. We had 12 head of people, and the next day we had an overnighter. You know, we didn't know if it was Monday, Thursday, Sunday. Right. So we might as well just say it's Saturday, you know. Yeah, yeah. But that was a big saying on the boat. You know, every day's a Saturday on the Sea Reaper. <laughs> That's funny. But no, I think all in all, everybody's doing pretty good, you know, as far as conservation goes. Um, I think so too, you know. I, th- I think I think there's a big one of the things that that really I think irritates the the uh, the common recreational fishermen is things like uh, the snapper season, which it really shouldn't be like that. You know, that's the most it's the it's the most abundant fishery, but it's the high, it's the most highly regulated. Granted, it's because it's the most sought after, probably. Right. Well, it was. It was. Yeah. <laughs> Depends who you talk to. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's it's kind of made a distaste for the people that are making the laws in some type of a way. You know, it's like it's like it's the recreational 
fishing sector against the commercial sector against the charter sector they made all these different things that were all fighting against each other but when in actuality all of us wanted to stay there it's just that figuring out the right way to do it you know yeah i mean i think some of that too is like back whenever i started fishing we would pull up on a spot and we would catch We'd catch sniper, we'd catch beeliners, we'd catch triggerfish, we'd catch some of the stuff we would catch amberjack on because we were putting car bodies out mm-hmm. and school buses. And we'd put school buses out for amberjack because you needed a big, big spot for it. Mm-hmm. Well, then it got to where the cars were made more plastic and that type of stuff. Well, they started regulating that. Mm-hmm. And then so it wound up we couldn't put I mean the cars got a lot of surface area and there'd be a lot of barnacle and that type of stuff and it held a lot of trigger fish now you putting out chicken coops and pyramids and that type of stuff and it just I don't think they hold fish like what we used to have whenever we put car bodies out really mm-hmm. <laughs> that's interesting I never heard anybody you know, say that they have been doing a lot as far as uh, making more artificial reefs out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a lot a, of stuff on the bottom. There's a lot. I don't know. I just I think that uh, with you know the red snapper, it's it's like I, the one thing I, that frustrates with me is that they you know make all these limits and everything, and it's all based off of these quotas, and based on the fact that they think that they know how much fish is out there, so that they can know how much we could take. And I feel like that's a very difficult thing to do. It's almost impossible to guess or to estimate how many fish are actually out there. And so, like, if those if those numbers aren't right, then what year we're taking can't be right either. Right. <laughs> um, just based on what you were just talking about, about getting the numbers off of stuff like that, we started deep dropping. We started really getting into it in 06. And we could go fish... In 400 feet of water and catch yellow edge snowies mm-hmm. i mean we had some stuff that was real good um we had some 500 600 800 foot stuff too but you would go drop down and and you'd, you'd catch you some nice fish you know mm-hmm. deep water fish well now i can go back to some of that same 450 foot stuff where I started deep dropping you make one drop and maybe catch one yellow edge but if you make another drop it's nothing but snapper you get in 500 feet same thing I mean it's like I I remember the deepest one I ever caught was like in 600 yeah that's just mind blowing so yeah I think snapper fishing definitely well I know it's gotten better I'd say that too especially the average size oh yeah the average definitely. size has definitely. Yeah. Maybe what they're doing seems like it's working. <laughs> yeah, some of it is. Some of it is for sure. But yeah, I can't thank you enough, uh, Captain Clayton, for letting me come over to your house and talk with you, have a drink with you. And, uh, I really appreciate uh, all the time. Hopefully, I'll see you down the dock down the road, huh? <laughs> yeah, man. Good conversations and good whiskey. That's right. Nothing better. Huh? That's right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram at Tunatown Talks. Also, if you'd like to book a charter with me, 
you can do so by visiting our website at mgfishing.com. That's Mexican Gulf website, where you'll find my online booking calendar with all my open dates. And remember, guys, always be safe while out on the water.